The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, take your Bibles with me this morning, and let's open them first to John chapter 21. And then when you found John chapter 21, go ahead and put a marker there, and then, and then find Luke chapter 5. So John chapter 21, and then that's where we're going to read first, and then uh, put, a, put a marker in Luke chapter 5, and we'll uh, turn to that in just a moment. Well, I welcome you to the first Sunday of the new year. And uh, those of you who are visiting, I am not the pastor. I wish he were here uh, so you could hear him speak. All right, let's all stand together, please, as we begin reading from John chapter 21. I'll read the first seven verses there. You can follow along. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They said unto him, We also go with thee. Now this wasn't uncommon, by the way, for this group of men, because these men were all fishermen. And so they reverted back to what they used to do. They became fishermen again. Uh, Let's read on. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which we are so privileged to possess, and There are many of your children in this world who who do not have a complete copy of the Bible, some who do not have any word at all. So we thank you that we live in a nation where we can possess and read and study your word. Thank you for this church and, and what it stands for in this place. Thank you for our pastor and his diligence to preach truth. And we thank you for all that have assembled here today to to worship you and to praise you and to hear the preaching of your word. Now, Lord, I pray their time this morning would not have been ill-spent, but I pray that you would use me today to preach your word unto these people. Thank you for this time. Now we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Why in verse 7 do you suppose that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, knew that it was the Lord based upon the actions that had just taken place. 
Well, the, the reason is, is because they have witnessed this before. This isn't the first time that the disciples gathered in a load of fish greater than they were able to even carry in their boats. Let's turn now together to Luke chapter 5. How many of you here today have ever gone fishing? How many fishermen do we have? Wow, I didn't, I didn't know we had that many liars here. Wow. The reason I say that is because anyone who's ever gone fishing has told a story. It's told a big fish story about the one that got away, right? Yeah, I know better than that. I grew up, my grandfather fished for a living. He was a fisherman. My daddy was a fisherman. I fished all, most of my life. I, I, know, I know how fishermen are. I remember with fond remembrance sitting at, at Claude and Hazel's trailer when Claude was still alive. And Claude would sit there and tell me his, his fish stories about the fish that got away and the ones that he almost caught and all these wonderful things. And Claude loved fishing. And I loved to talk to him about fishing. He loved, he loved to go fish in Alaska. And he would go with one of his nephews to Alaska every year and fish. And he used to tell me, I'm going to take you with us one time. But the Lord decided to call him home before that opportunity ever came. But I loved to talk to Claude about fishing. And he always had he always had a good fish story to tell. But I'm not talking today about, I don't want to talk to you today about the one that got away. I want to talk to you about a different kind of fish story. I want to talk to you rather about the biggest fish that fish, these fishermen ever caught. Now let's look together at Luke chapter 5. And we'll begin reading at verse number 1. <laughs> And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now this was a common practice for fishermen. When you, when you came in, these seas, the, these lakes in the, in the Middle East are very salty. They're very briny. So... Um, these fishermen, after they fished, would, would take their nets and wash them down to wash out all of the brine so it wouldn't corrupt and corrode their nets. Let's read on. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep. And let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of fishers which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus saith unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth, Thou shalt catch men. From this story that we read of 
of Jesus' encounter with Peter and James and John on, on the lake of, uh, of Gennesaret, I find some encouraging truths. Some things that, that I can, can draw upon as I endeavor to live my life in pursuit of, of the Lord's will. And this is truly what we need in our lives today. We, we need encouragement. For we live in a, in a world of sin. We live in a world of despair. We live in a world, in many ways, filled with darkness. So for a few moments this morning, allow me to share some thoughts with you. First this morning from this story, I find that God uses common men. Now I apologize to you this morning that we do not have a PowerPoint for you to follow. We're going to have to do this like we used to do it in the olden days when we had the lanterns and the lamps and, and things like that. So I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to, to, to give you the information for each point. God uses common men. We read a, a few moments ago from Luke chapter 5 verses 1 through 3 and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two men, two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. <laughs> one of the things I find interesting here is that these were common men. They were not lawyers. They were not teachers or merchantmen. They were not priests. They were not rulers. They were fishermen. And while a very necessary profession, in the times of Jesus in, in, in the Middle East, fishermen were the simplest of professions. It, it didn't take a lot of skill to be a fisherman. In fact... You didn't even need to know how to swim to be a fisherman. That's not very uncommon, by the way, when you, when you visit fishing areas of the world. My grandfather, as I said, he, he was born on Four Mile Bayou in the Louisiana swamps. He lived in those swamps his entire life. He was a fisherman from the time he was old enough to, to, to handle a net until, until his dying day. My grandfather could not swim a lick. Neither my grandmother nor he, my mother could not swim, and my aunt could not swim. And they lived on a camp boat in the middle of a lake. And none of them could swim. If, if a flood ever came or a storm ever came, they, they certainly would have perished because none knew how to swim. But these were very simple men. They were common men. And this is important to us because this morning as we sit here, all of us need to understand that we can be used of God. We do not need to have a master's degree. You do not need a Ph.D. in theology. Matter of fact, there are a lot of so-called doctors of theology running around this country that have no business practicing law, practicing the preaching of the word of God. You do not need to have a charismatic personality. Uh, I find it very comfortable to, to speak publicly. I, I, I'm, I'm somewhat of an extrovert. I'm not an introvert. But not all people are that way. Some of you, if, 
if you had to stand right here and do what I'm doing right now, you'd probably pass out. So you don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to have a charismatic personality to serve the Lord. You, you, we do not need to be a person of authority. You don't need to have some great authority. You don't have to be a person who has a lot of clout, a lot of power. You do not need to have a great deal of money. Although if you do, talk to John right after the services. We'd like to talk to you seriously about your problem with too much money. But you do not need to have a great deal of money to be used of God. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, where he states, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Now, I don't want to imply this morning that God can't use a man with credentials or, or that God can't use a man with money. We have, we have many of our church members here who have, who have degrees and, and have credentials and things such as that. And they, they do great service for the Lord here. And I have known over the years some very wealthy men who have used their money for the, for the work of God and have, have used their, their, their riches to further God's work in this world and and, and, and so I'm not saying that that's not possible this morning. And Paul does not, and Paul does say that not many of those types of people are called. He did not say that none are called. But it is very rare that men of such social, social stature will come to the place where they can be used of God. Paul tells us in Timothy, in 1 Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows." So Paul does warn of the, of the follies and the pitfalls of riches and of power and of authority. Again, Jesus spoke of the difficulties faced by men who place their values in the wrong things and place their values in education or power or wealth. In Matthew chapter 19, we read, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now this morning, if you are a man or a woman with degrees or wealth or authority, I'm not saying that you cannot be used of God. This, this is a proverbial expression that Jesus used here. He uses this, it defines a difficulty altogether unconquerable by the mere power of man. Often more responsibilities are expected from, uh, from men of, of wealth and power than from others. More sins do easily beset them, uh, which they can hardly avoid. They face great temptations, and such as are very insinuating. It is hard to be 
taken by the charms of a smiling world, very hard. Uh, too often these, under the allurements of worldliness and prosperity, choose to forsake the work of the Lord and pursue the pleasures of sin. Nothing less than the grace of Almighty God will enable these men to get over these difficulties. But we see that these disciples chosen by Christ were not men of great wealth. They were not men of great power or authority. They were common men. They were fishermen. They were men of common skills with no formal education and no wealth. In fact, these men did not even have the money to pay their tribute. We, we recall the story in Matthew chapter 17 where Jesus uh, commanded Peter to go fishing and to, to, to catch the fish and the first fish he caught. He said to open the mouth and in the, in the mouth of that fish he would find a coin and that coin would be sufficient to pay his taxes and the taxes for Jesus and all of his disciples. These men didn't have great wealth. They did not dwell in fine accommodations. In Matthew chapter 8, we read, And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. They didn't live in, in posh and luxury. They didn't live in a, in, in a fancy dwelling place with, with servants and, and, and great fine accommodations. They, they dwelt on the roadsides and they slept in, in, the, in the trees and in the bushes where they could find dry place. They were common men. Yet no men, no combined group of men had more impact on their world than these men. Just think about the impact that these 12 common men, these disciples of Jesus, had on the world. And there's even written testimony of this found in Scripture in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, where we read, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. It's referring here to the disciples. These who have turned the world upside down. These men were so profound in, in their understanding of God's word and so, so, so disciplined at their service to God that they, they, though they were common men, they were uneducated, they had no, no degrees, they, 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 they had no wealth, yet they turned the world upside down. That's what we need tonight. That's what we need today. Without great intellect, without great resources, without great power and authority, they change their world for Christ. Yet those of us who, who live in this place, we cannot even change our community for Christ. And a lot of times we can't because we don't think we can. We don't understand that God wants to use each of us here today. He uses common men and he wants to use you and he wants to use me in this place. He wants us to be witnesses for him at our workplace, at our, at our marketplaces, in our homes. He wants us to rear our children to know him and to love him and to honor him with their lives. He desires to use every person in this room this morning. Just imagine if 12 men could turn their world upside down. Just imagine what the 80 or 90 people seated in this room this morning 
could do in this community if we were to dedicate ourselves to the Lord as these 12 men did. God uses common men. He wants to use you and me to impact our community. The question is, will we yield ourselves unto his service today? But not only does God use common men, but from this story I also see next that God requires committed men. Referring back again to Luke chapter 5 and verses 4 and 5, we read, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now first, I think I need to establish what I mean when I say being committed to Christ. To commit means to give trust to to put into the hands or, or power of another to entrust with. So when I say that, that we need to, our lives need to be committed to Christ, what I'm saying is we need to put our lives in the hands of Jesus. We need to give him the authority in our life. We need to give him the say-so in our life. We need to yield. We need to, we need to, to, to submit ourselves to his purpose and his plan for us, even if that purpose and plan may go against Everything we want to do, we need to be committed. Now follow me for a moment. Peter and his crew and John and James and John and their crew had been out fishing all night long and they caught nothing. Now obviously these were experienced fishermen. Certainly they were familiar with the waters of this area. They would have known the feeding patterns of the indigenous fish. That's why they would have been fishing at night and not during the day. Yet despite all of this, they immediately obeyed the Lord and put out into the deep. They yielded to him and his authority. They placed their will in his hands. Now this speaks to me of a, of a couple of admirable and desirable traits. What are they? First, is this, Peter had respect for spiritual things. <laughs> Peter had respect for spiritual things. Excuse me for a second. This is seen in verse 5, where we read, And Simon answering said unto him, Master. His use of the term master would lead me to believe that Peter was reared to respect the things of God. And this is so important for us to understand today, that we have a respect for spiritual things. things. May, I, may I state this morning that the greatest thing you will ever do for your children or for your grandchildren is to teach them to respect spiritual things. You can do nothing greater for them than, than that one thing. Teach them to respect spiritual things, things such as the word of God. I'm talking about the Holy Bible. Teach your children to respect the Bible. It's, it's, it's just a book, but it's a book that contains the living word of God. And it needs to be reverenced and respected by God's people. In Psalm 119, verse 9, we read, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. There is nothing on earth. There is nothing on earth more important than the word of God. For by this do we find life. 
There is an, all the gold in the world is not to be compared to this book. All the power that one could gain is nothing compared to the wisdom that one can gain from the word of God. It is the most important thing that you and I possess today. In Job chapter 23, we read, My foot hath held his steps, his way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And Job said, take away all my food, but do not take away the word of God. Teach your children to reverence the Bible. How prominent is the Bible in our homes? How important is the scripture in our hearts? We're reminded by David in Psalm 1 and verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Teach your children to respect the word of God and to do this uh, and do this by starting with yourself. Learn yourself to reverence the word of God. Then we need to learn respect not only to the word of God, but secondly, to the house of God. To the house of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. There's an old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. How many of you have ever heard that saying? Familiarity breeds contempt. The more familiar you become with something, the less you respect it, the less you reverence it. The benefit of having a multi-use facility such as ours is that we can conduct activities whenever we desire. The problem with having a multi-use facility such as ours is that we tend to forget that this is a house of worship, not a social parlor. And our children will develop a familiarity with spiritual things and will forget about the sanctity of them. Learn to respect the word of God. Learn to respect the house of God. And then learn to respect the man of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Paul writes, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now, we've taught much about this in, in our church, and I won't belabor uh, the point this morning, but let me just admonish each of you here to respect God's man and to teach your children to do the same. Follow the examples of David in this matter. I don't have the time, time to turn to it, but it, you can turn to it later in 1 Samuel chapter 24. We read about the story of David having opportunity to kill King Saul, who was attempting to kill him. But David would not raise his hand against King Saul because Saul was God's anointed man. He was the man of God and David refused to do anything against the man of God. And we need to learn that. We need to learn to respect the man of God. Now, pastor became our pastor after 10 years of membership here. And while he was a member here, many of us became very comfortable with calling him by his first name. And it was no easier for me than for anyone else to change that. But from the moment he became our pastor, I began to call him Pastor Smith. I would never disrespect his, him and his position as the man of God by walking up to him and calling him by his first name. Have respect for the man of God. I don't care how long you've known him. Have respect for the man of God. 
Because your children are watching you. Your grandchildren are watching you. Younger Christians are watching you. And if you fail to have respect for these spiritual things we're talking about, they certainly won't have respect for them. Take the lead. Assume the responsibility. And learn to respect these things. And also, by the way, we need to learn to respect the people of God. That's one another. We shouldn't badmouth and criticize and speak evil against one another. If you learn some secret about one of your brothers or sisters in Christ, you should go into private and get on your knees and beg God that he would help you to forever bury it and hide this thing. How dare we slander one another? How dare we say wicked and evil things against one another? Have you no respect for the people of God? They are his blood-bought children. Someone badmouthed my brother or my sister or my mom or dad in front of me, they better get ready for a scrap. But we think nothing of gossip, slander against God's people. We whisper in dark, and when others come, we stand direct. You you think I don't know what you're doing? You think I just started this yesterday? I've been in the ministry for 33 years. I can tell when people are gossiping. I can tell when you get in a room on the other side of the building where no one else is, and you're whispering to one another. What's the matter? You don't want to say things out loud because you don't want to hear other people say, hear, hear what you're talking about. Stop it. This is God's people. We are to respect them. We're to have, we're to have compassion on them. We're to learn to respect the things of God. Galatians 6.10 tells us, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Learn to love and respect your brethren. Now I know that it's, I know, you know, my brothers and sisters and I, we fought. We, we didn't agree with each other and we, you know, we scrapped a lot. My sister to this day, one of them wears a broken tooth that I gave her. But we loved one another, and we didn't go around bad-mouthing each other, everybody in the neighborhood. So don't do those things. I didn't mean to get off on that tangent. The Holy Spirit just kicked me in the pants there for a second, so you'll forgive me. You say, you ought to not preach like that on Sunday morning. Well, then don't do it, by all means, please. Peter, I said, what did I say? I forgot what I said. See, there you got me all confused. Peter had respect for spiritual things. But then secondly, notice, Peter responded with submission. Peter responded with submission. Again, in Luke 5, verse 5, we read, Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. We do not see any argument by Peter. Even though he was a professional fisherman and had spent the whole night fishing, he didn't argue with Jesus when Jesus said, put down the net. He didn't didn't argue. He did not debate with the Lord. He simply said, at thy word, I will let down the net. In other words, he said, as you wish, Lord Jesus. Peter respected the Lord. Therefore, he trusted his word. Psalm 119, we read, Teach me, O Lord, the ways of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. These are powerful words. Teach me. Give me understanding. Make me to go. These are the prayers of a man that is committed to following his God. This is a stark contrast to the attitude and spirit of so many of our Baptist brethren today. So many today deny the sovereignty of God 
and empower the will of man over God. Their commitment is not to the effectual will of a sovereign God, um, rather to the, to the ineffectual will of a depraved man. Peter responded with immediate and complete submission to the will of God, to the will of Christ. And if you and I will succeed in reaching our community with the gospel, then we too must be committed. We must respect spiritual things. We must respond in submission to Almighty God. So we see from this fish story that God uses common men, and God requires committed men. But then lastly this morning, we see that God blesses compliant men. God blesses compliant men. Luke chapter 5 again, verses 6 and 7. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. They had spent the entire night fishing, caught nothing. And at the word of Jesus, they dropped their nets and caught more fish than both boats could hold. Now let me wrap up these thoughts this morning. God uses common men. He does not need men of great stature or wealth. He can and has used a donkey if he wants to. He can use stones if he desires. In Luke chapter 19, we read a passage of scripture in which Jesus was admonished by the, the Pharisees to stop the people from worshiping him as king. And Jesus said, if these men stop, the stones will, themselves will begin to worship. God can use stones if he desires. He can use any means he desires to carry out his work. But God has chosen to use us. And what he requires of us is obedience, compliance to his word. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, we read, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great desire, delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. But far too often, what we offer God is rebellion instead of compliance. And Samuel reminded us that rebellion is as wretched and abominable Injustice to a, to a holy and righteous God. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 23, Samuel states, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. But we must remember that God is as prepared to bless our obedience as he is to curse our rebellion. Turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. When you find Deuteronomy chapter 11, look at verse 26. We read here, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you this day. And a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside out of the way which I command you this day. To go after other gods which you have not known. God has prepared both a blessing and a curse for each of us here today. Which one will we claim? 
Which will we redeem? The blessing or the curse? The one you redeem is dependent upon the choice you make. Will you obey or will you disobey? Too often we go without the blessings that God would give us. But why? Well, things such as doubt, greed, deceit, selfishness, and just plain old rebellion against God. That's what James told us in James chapter 4 where he states, From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. We fail to obey. Obedience brings us the blessings of God. Disobedience brings a curse upon us. And what is the curse? Well, the curse is not the blessings of God. What greater, what greater, what greater punishment is there than to deny you of the blessings of God? So in essence, the curse is you get your own way. You get what you want. But you have to do it on your own. Away from God. So let me, let me ask, are, are you in the will of God this morning? Are you living in obedience to God and his word in every aspect of your life? Or are you living in rebellion against God and his principles? Do you enjoy the blessings that come from compliance to God and his word? Or do you suffer loss at, and want at every turn? Is God and his will in the center of your life? Or have you relegated God to one corner of your life, allow, only allowing him to come out when it is convenient or profitable for you? A big fish story. This is not a story of the one that got away. This is a story of victory. It is a story of hope for all who read, read of it. Of hope because God uses common men. Men like, like you and men like me. It's, it's of hope because God requires committed men. Men that put God and his work first and foremost in their lives. It's, of hope, it's a story of hope because God blesses compliant men. Men that obey God even in the face of fear and doubt. Trusting only in his righteousness and, and, and his power. But what about us this morning? Whom will we serve? Will we obey or will we disobey? Let me close with this scripture. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. You can turn to it if you like or you can listen. And I promise I won't misquote it for you. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. And if it see, seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May that be the testimony of every person in this room today. As for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we stand before you now in this place. And
Certainly, Lord, none of us can boast of great accomplishment. None of us here this morning can can boast that we know more than, than, than anyone else. We're just common men. And Lord, we've, we've come to this place to be used of you in whatever way we can be used of you. And we desire, Lord, to obey you in all things, to commit to you our lives and to entrust you with our, with our, our purposes and our futures. And Lord, we just desire to comply to everything that you have for us to do. So Lord, we come to you now and we ask that you would bless us and that you would use us, that you would stir us and challenge us, not allow us to leave this place without having a new, a new desire to serve you. Bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.